Won't you pray with me? God of eternal wonder, you stretch our ability to believe. God of promise, you give us hope for tomorrow. God of patience and endurance, you make us feel inadequate when we are impatient and we lack endurance. To you, God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be acceptable to you, our rock, our refuge, our promise and hope, and our Redeemer. Amen. Last week, Pastor Ellie offered a sermon about the hope of Mary. Little did we realize that it would inaugurate an entire week of hope here in the United States. After all, it wasn't very long after that sermon, we began hearing news not just of an approved vaccine for COVID-19, but that it was on its way and, in its, and on its way into the arms of Americans. Promise with hope for stemming the tide of this coronavirus. And then the next day, we hear the news of the Electoral College without incident voting for our president, uh, now President-elect Biden, with the hope that maybe the rancor over the last election may be subsiding, finally. And then we hear news at the end of the week about our government making compromises that may enable people to receive the aid they so desperately need. And add to that as icing on the cake, if you've been out and about at all, you notice that people, even in the midst of hustle and bustle, even with masks on, are a little bit more pleasant because after all, it is Christmas time and people tend to put their best faces on, even under a mask this time of year. Hope, a whole week of hope, but how long will it last? Where is a hope that endures? Where is a hope that is steadfast and rock solid that you can be firm upon? I can imagine that this is what David was reflecting upon as we catch David in our passage from 2 Samuel this morning. David's kicking back. He's in his kingly quarters. He's just been through a rough patch, but now he's king. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the center of the government, and he has restored the Ark of the Covenant to not only the people, but to Jerusalem. And now he's wondering, what's my next move? How different his attitude must have been than the years prior. After all, David was one of King Saul's inside men not just a welcomed person inside King Saul's court, but the best friend of Saul's son, Jonathan, and the husband of Saul's daughter, Michael. This was all good until David became getting more popular than Saul, and Saul's heart became hard and jealous. And jealousy 
led to questions about fidelity and trustworthiness. Evidently, that's been a problem for leaders for some time. And that led Saul to want to eliminate David, extinguish the competition. David, for his part, understood Saul to be the chosen one of God, anointed by God as king. And with that anointing came a promise. And he would not allow himself to in any way short-circuit that promise. So David ran. He tried to hide. He tried to get away, but was chased. When given the opportunity to defend himself, even to violently oppose Saul in taking his life, he chose not to because Saul was God's anointed, one with promise. How confused David must have been when he became anointed by the same prophet, Samuel, who anointed Saul. Two men of promise. So David tried to avoid conflict, but it was inevitable. So now, David and his loyalists and Saul and his were fighting. When news of the final battle came to David and was told that the victory was his, he asked, and what of Saul and what of Jonathan? The bitter news of the death of Saul, his king, and the death of Jonathan, the person with, him, with whom David was most intimate, came as a bitter pill, not as a joyous victory. But David, living into the anointing and the promise on his life, began the hard work of uniting the tribes of Israel once again, uniting them under his leadership, and restoring Jerusalem as the center of the nation of Israel and of the center of the worship of Israel. And to top it all off, David recovers the Ark of the Covenant and processes it with great fanfare into Jerusalem, with trumpet blasts announcing its coming, with multiple animal sacrifices invoking God's blessing on the Ark and on the people who honor it. And David leading the way, dancing, wearing a apron normally worn by priests, as a sign of almost a divine and priestly function as king. He is dancing aggressively and without inhibition. He's also dancing without much more than the apron. And when his wife, Michael, sees this, she is like her father of hard heart. Maybe she was embarrassed by her husband, the king, behaving in such a way and dressing in such a way. Maybe it was jealousy that caused her to envy her husband as opposed to honor him because he had superseded her father. We don't know. But we know that God withdrew the blessing of children from her. She was barren, unable to have children, a curse 
or Hebrew woman. Now David is in his abode. He is reflecting on all that has happened and now what his next move will be. Let's build a place for the tabernacle. Let's build a temple. Nathan the prophet hears this and says, Dave, God's on your side. You've got the wind at your back. I'd greenlight that project. But that night, God speaks to Nathan. Nathan, I am making a covenant promise with David, and it will never end. The line of David will be the line of my promise for eternity. And he will be honored. That's the good news. The bad news? He's not the one to build the temple. That's not for him. That will wait. That's up to one of his sons. So when David heard that word, he acknowledged it and moved on to other things, knowing that not everything that is promised and hoped for occurs in the time that you wish. But that does not prevent you from hoping. Psalm 89 is a psalm that encapsulates this promise of David and the implications for God's relationship to Israel through David. It is God's eternal steadfast love in Hebrew, hesed. It is that love that has formed this covenant between God and David and through David with all of Israel. And this eternal and steadfast love will never, never return void. It will, in fact, bring hope through this promise. This was the promise that gave hope, that sustained Israel through the robust years of the Davidic and Solomonic kingdoms. This was the promise that gave hope through the lean years of the divided kingdom. This was the promise that gave hope when Israel was taken into exile and dispersed. This was the promise that gave hope when the Jews returned back to the promised land to rebuild their kingdom and their temple. This was the promise that gave hope when they were conquered by the Greeks and later by the Romans. This was the promise that gave hope when King Herod was king of Judea, when Zechariah was a priest in the temple and his wife Elizabeth, though both great in age, had no children. This was the promise that gave those people hope. And in the context of this, there is a divine messenger bringing a proclamation of a miraculous birth to Zechariah and to Elizabeth. And this became the release of a curse. A child would be born, and it would be a child of God. This was the promise that gave hope in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, when another 
angelic messenger visited the young girl Mary and told her that she had found favor with God. This pushed the ability for her to believe. What was so favorable about her? She's an uneducated woman. She has no status. What is it about her that God finds favorable? God has chosen her, she is told, to bear a son. Like her kinswoman, Elizabeth, had a miraculous birth, she too would have a miraculous birth. And this birth would be of God's spirit in her flesh. And the child that would be born would be the fulfillment of the promise that had sustained Israel as a nation through thick and through thin from the time of David. And now it was going to come to pass. In the midst of all Mary's inability to believe, the messenger gives her one opportunity to think a different way. Mary, with God, all things are possible. I wonder if it was said in such a way that invited Mary to consider, do I believe that? Maybe it was, because her response was, let it be unto me according to what you said. Let it happen. Okay, I'm in. This was the promise that gave the people of Israel hope. And Mary was going to be the person who is to bring this child into the world. How different her miraculous birth was from Elizabeth's. Elizabeth, her pregnancy, it was removing a curse. It was removing a stigma. It was a joyous celebration. God is providing a child when they thought they would never have one. For Mary, it was, how can I ever explain this to Joseph? That though we shouldn't be having children, I'm having a child. What caused great rejoicing cause strife and shame for Mary. But as we remember from last week's sermon, Mary, by the time she meets with Elizabeth, has resolved herself to the fact that she would rejoice in this, come what may, because she believed in the promises of God. And this gave her hope. Mary, filled by the Holy Spirit, cracked open by her willingness to believe in a spirit of hope, filled with the Spirit in such a way that it became obvious to all people that she was now Spirit-filled, bringing the birth of God's promise into the world. This is what Paul refers to at the very end of the epistle to the church at Rome, when he says, the mystery of all the ages was fulfilled in this Jesus Christ, 
the promise that we have been holding on to for so long has been fulfilled in this one who is crucified like a criminal but raised from the dead and now is victorious over sin and death. And not just for us, but for all the world. This is the promise that we have waited for. And this is our hope. Friends, like Mary, Paul had his life cracked open, believing in the promises of God as, ex as seen in Jesus Christ. And he too was so filled with the Spirit spirit that it became obvious to all. And even in spite of the stonings and the imprisonments and all of the difficulties that Paul encountered, it did not diminish his hope. So friends, into what and for what do you hope? What is the promise on which you base your hope. God's enduring, eternal, steadfast love is the promise of Jesus Christ. And now we have the possibility of continuing to open our lives up to that promise, to having our lives so filled with the Holy Spirit that we, like Mary and Paul, have lives that are so obviously changed we cannot hide it. And that we have the possibility of birthing the promise of Christ's hope into the world. A hope that is not temporary, but a hope that not only changes individual lives, but can change the world. For nothing is impossible with God. Friends, this is the good news. Thanks be to God.